You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Well, please join me in the word of prayer. Lord, we give you thanks today for you are good and your love endures forever. We give thanks to you for your unfailing love and your wonderful deeds. You satisfy the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You brought us out of darkness and distress and you broke away the chains of sin. And so we exalt you today in the assembly of your people and we testify of your works with joyful songs. This Thanksgiving, we acknowledge and remember that every good and perfect gift is from above. Father, we thank you for this space to worship. We thank you for this community of believers. We thank you for our families and friends. We thank you for the food on our tables and for the clothes on our back. We have an endless, an endless list of things that we are thankful for. Lord, may we never take them for granted. Forgive us, Lord, O merciful Father. We also want to thank that you have brought our sister Yo-Yo here today from Hong Kong. Lord, I pray that as she adjusts here in this life in Canada, that God, that she might find a community of believers who will support her and help her to settle down here in this land. Lord, especially on this Lord's Day and every day, We are most thankful and grateful for the greatest gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by your grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to receive by faith. And so we worship you and take great comfort today in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May every soul here be refreshed and rediscover this glorious gospel day by day by day. Holy Father, now as we turn our attention to the preaching of your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit to illuminate your words to us. We humble ourselves and fix the posture of our hearts to receive divine revelations and holy perspectives. Lord, cause our hearts to burn with blazing passion and holy conviction that leads to holy living and holy ambition to proclaim the life-transforming news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. All this we pray in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let us continue in our sermon series through the Gospel of John. Please open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. John 20, 19 to 23. Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Amen. This was the reading of God's Word. And so last week, we looked at the first half of chapter 20, which was about the foundational event of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the significance, we talked about the relevance of the resurrection of Christ. And our passage today is about the post-resurrection, the first post-resurrection appearance to the band of the disciples. We're not told exactly who was there, but most likely it was the twelve, minus Judas and Thomas. The risen Christ appears to them, and what we observe are some dramatic changes in the disciples. There is a change in their disposition. There is a change in their destiny. There is a change in their life purpose and mission. You see, when a person truly encounters the risen Christ, their lives will never be the same. If you have truly encountered the living God, your life will be radically transformed. And that's what our text shows us today. In our text, we can find at least four major shifts that occur in the believer's life when they encounter the risen Christ. Well, let's begin with the first point. The first point is this. When we encounter the risen Christ, there is a shift from fear to joy. In verse 19, we read that it was the evening of the first day of the week. It was a Sunday. And on that fateful Sunday, the disciples were together. They had locked themselves up in the house. And it says that they locked the doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. So why were they hiding? Why were they afraid? Why did they fear the Jewish leaders? Well, they had seen with their own eyes how the Jewish leaders conspired against Jesus and had him arrested and then brutally tortured and crucified and killed. And they too were afraid that they would share this fate. They too were in danger of being arrested, imprisoned, or executed. You see, it's the same reason why Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. He feared the consequences that came from associating with Jesus. He feared men and what men might do to him. And by the time that rooster crowed, fear had completely overwhelmed him. Fear had taken control. And so he turned his back on Christ and ran the other way. 
No wonder these grown men have locked themselves up in hiding. They were overcome with fear. They were terrified of what harm could be done to them. But suddenly and unexpectedly, the risen Christ appears before them and stood among them. Remember, the doors were locked. So how did Jesus get inside? Did he just walk through the walls or through the door? Well, we can't be sure because we're not told. But if Jesus didn't have a problem busting out of the tomb, I'm sure he didn't have a problem busting into a house. Another thing that we can be sure of is this, that he was not some kind of ghost or a vision. We're told in verse 20 that Jesus showed them his hands and his side. The scars from his wounds verify that Jesus is in the flesh. That he was crucified, died, and was buried, and he has come back to life. And when the disciples finally recognize who is standing before them, he says in the first or the second half of verse 20, he says, the disciples, it says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their fears are replaced with joy. At one time, they were overcome with fear. But when they encounter the risen Christ, they are overcome with joy. Now, I would argue that this joy was not just from the excitement of reuniting with their master and friend, because even after Jesus departs from them, even after he ascends into heaven, they will continue to experience a peculiar joy, even in suffering, even in persecution, even in death. The disciples will go on to experience a joy that is irrevocable. Remember, Jesus promised his disciples in John 16, 22, that though he will go away for a time, they will see him again, and they will rejoice, and no one will take away this joy. And when the risen Christ appears before them, it is the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. Folks, the, the year 2020 was a very difficult year for all of us. The year 2020 has been labeled the most stressful year on record. And the American Psychological Association suggests that rampant anxiety has become a national mental health emergency. A study was conducted to identify which factors fueled their anxiety the most so that it can produce a list of America's top 10 fears. The number one fear on that list was loved ones dying. The second on that list was loved ones becoming seriously ill. 
And the third on that list was mass shootings. You see, the top three fears of America are all related to death. Actually, if you look at the list, six out of the ten fears on that list is directly or indirectly related to death. But friends, Jesus Christ has defeated death and gives us the prospect of eternal life to all who believe. Dear Christians, you and I, we literally have the solution to the greatest fear of America and all of humanity. What the world needs today, more than anything else, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not more antidepressants. It's not more therapy. It's not more self-help books. Although those things can be very helpful. They do not address the fundamental issues of sin and death. And to be more precise, sin and death is not even the biggest problem. It's not our biggest problem. The biggest problem that humanity faces today is that God is good. God is good. What am I talking about? Well, God is good, meaning that God is perfect. God is just and holy and righteous. And this is terrifying to us because, or at least it should be terrifying to us because people, you and I, are not good. For we all fall short of the glory of God. And just as a good judge must punish lawbreakers and criminals, the holy and righteous God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. A good God will hold every single sinner accountable for every sin that they have ever committed. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 2 that the wrath of God is being stored up against sinners. But here in our passage today, twice the risen Christ says to his disciples, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Verse 19 and 21. And when Jesus says, Peace be with you, it's not just a conventional greeting of hello, but he is imparting real peace, the peace between a holy God and sinners that Jesus has made possible on the cross when he said, It is finished. He imparts the peace of divine reconciliation and new life to his disciples. You see, the Christian's peace and joy is won and secured by Christ's victory over sin, over death, and over all forces of evil. Jesus has overcome the world, 
And this permanent peace and joy that Jesus offers us transcends all earthly sorrows, sufferings, and even our greatest of fears. Perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love of God, demonstrated in Christ's sacrifice on the cross, dispels all fears. If you trust in the risen Christ today, there is no more fear of death. There is no more fear of wrath and judgment. Christ has effectively dealt with our greatest fears. And guess what? There is no closed doors or locked doors that Christ cannot enter. He can enter any space, the darkest space in your life, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your trauma. The grace of God invades our lives. The grace of God invades our thoughts, our hurts, our insecurities, our fears. And the Holy Spirit is producing in us the fruit of joy. And we have this promise that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen. The second point is this. When we encounter the risen Christ, there is a shift from despair to purpose. As the disciples watched their Lord be crucified and executed, their hopes and dreams were crushed. They thought Jesus would build a great earthly empire, but now he was dead. And they were on the run. They locked themselves up in the house, idle, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go. They were in despair. They were lost and confused. Does that sound familiar? But when they are met with the risen Christ, they are given hope and new purpose. Look with me to verse 21. Verse 21, it reads, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus gives them a grand and glorious purpose for their lives. A purpose bigger and more exciting and more important than they ever imagined. The greatest adventure of all. A life purpose worth living for, worth dying for. Missio Dei, the mission of God. Jesus invites all of his followers to participate in his mission to the world. Just as Christ was sent into the world to help the needy, to free the oppressed, to care for the sick, 
to proclaim good news to all. Christians, you and I are sent into the world to imitate Christ in His missionary work. Our Lord has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded us. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God did not save you so that you can live an easy and comfortable life. God did not give you an education and talents and skills so that you can find a great career and make a name for yourself. God did not give you money so that you can buy a big house and a nice car and a new iPhone. If God has blessed you, if God has blessed you at all today, God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to the world and to all the nations. And so I ask, do you have a God-sized purpose for your life? Do you have a God-sized purpose for your life? What are you living for? If you live for any lesser and insignificant purpose, guess what? You will be left dissatisfied and empty. Is that how you feel today? Do you feel empty, dissatisfied, aimless? Well, then I ask for all of us to pray to God. Pray and ask God to maximize your life, to maximize your talents, your resources, your influence, your skills, all for His kingdom and His glory alone, to bring the world to Christ and to bring Christ to the world. A preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon once said this, he said, quote, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. A Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Perhaps not every one of you here is called to leave your homes and cross cultures, to go to a remote island to preach Christ. But let me tell you this. Every single Christian is called to somehow spend their resources and to spend their lives for the cause of Christ. Beloved church, we are God's plan A. We are God's plan A to reach the world with the gospel. There is no plan B. There is no second option. Christ has commissioned His church. Christ has chosen to use imperfect Christians like you and me to do His perfect work. And this leads us to our next point. Point number three. When we encounter the risen Christ, there is a shift 
from self-reliance to spirit empowerment. From self-reliance to spirit empowerment. You see, the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the evangelization of the world is an impossible task. It is. It's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Remember this, that though we are called to participate in this task, we are not the ones to accomplish it. The Spirit of God is already at work in this world, and the Spirit of God is working in us and through us, His church. In verse 22 of our passage, it says, And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive what? Receive the Holy Spirit. The only other time God breathes on a man is in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. And so Jesus breathes upon his disciples to symbolize new life and new creation order. Moreover, Jesus is breathing on his disciples was a prophetic sign of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 records our Lord's final words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he said to them all, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is essential for the church to carry out the task that we have been given. We cannot rely on our own strength. We cannot rely on our own power We need the Spirit's empowerment to be witnesses of Christ to the ends of the earth. You know, I hear so many Christians tell me this. They tell me that they don't think they're ready. They don't think they're ready to to serve. They don't think they're ready to to share the gospel, to evangelize. They don't think they're ready to make disciples. And they may have valid reasons, but oftentimes, and most times, it is their self-reliance that is telling them that they are not ready. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? If you do, why are you not ready? Because the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers every true believer. Do you believe? Are you a Christian? If so, the Spirit of the living God is in you. What do you mean you're not ready? Does the Holy Spirit not convict you? 
Does He not lead you and prompt you and embolden you and empower you? Look, it's either you don't have the Spirit at all. Maybe you don't have the Spirit at all. Or you have been quenching the Spirit by your disobedience. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you say you're a Christian and and there's someone you love, a friend, a family member who does not know Christ and they are heading to a Christless eternity, are you not going to share the gospel with them because you don't feel like you're ready? Dear Christians, don't be discouraged because you don't always have the the right words to say. Don't be discouraged because of the lack of results. Do not be self-reliant. It's not about what you can do. It's not about your performance. Just take simple steps to obey God. If you feel inadequate, you can start by asking your older brothers or sisters in Christ to mentor you, to teach you, to disciple you. You can come out to Bible study on on Wednesdays to learn. You can take a course on evangelism. You can read a, a Christian book on discipleship, on theology. There's so many resources out there. And keep this in mind. Listen to this. Keep this in mind. Successful evangelism is simply obeying God by sharing the gospel of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Simple as that. The fourth and final point. When we encounter the risen Christ, there is a shift from gospel ignorance to gospel proclamation. Look with me to verse 23. Verse 23. Jesus says to his disciples, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Kind of sounds kind of strange. But let me first clarify by saying this, that this verse is is not teaching that the disciples were given the authority to forgive sins. Who has authority to forgive sins? Only God. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church likes to use this verse to justify the practice for for people to confess their sins to the priest. They believe that God has given some special sacramental authority to the succession of the apostles to forgive sins. I don't think that's true at all. If you read this verse within context, the focus is on the evangelistic mission that the disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. All that Jesus is saying here, really, 
is that the disciples can declare and pronounce that a person's sins are forgiven if they respond in faith to the proclamation of the gospel. And vice versa, the disciples can declare and pronounce that a person's sins are not forgiven if they do not respond in faith to the proclamation of the gospel. Is that clear? You see, at, a, at one time, the disciples, they were so ignorant of the gospel. They didn't know what it was. But once they encounter the risen Christ, their eyes, their minds are opened to see and to perceive the glory and power of Christ. And now this gospel is not a gospel they can contain and keep among themselves. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, dear Christians, by God's grace, we have been reconciled to God. And by that same grace, He now calls us to be the instrument of reconciliation. God has committed to us, to you, if you are a believer here, God has committed to you the message of reconciliation. He has committed to you the gospel. The King of Kings would like to speak the message of reconciliation and terms of peace to the world through us as His ambassadors. Do you understand? Do you understand the, the weight of this immense responsibility? Do you understand it? Brothers and sisters, there are still well over 3 billion, 3 billion people in the world who likely never even heard the gospel once in their life. I mean, you get to hear it every single Sunday. When you come here, you get to hear it. You have a Bible in your hand. You might have Christian parents. There's churches in every block, in every neighborhood. But there are over 3 billion people in the world today, right now, living, breathing, who has never heard the gospel once. Three billion people who are still unreached. They are born, they will live, and they will likely die without ever hearing the gospel. That is over 40% of the world's population. 40%. 
they will never hear. They have never heard. Let me remind you, let me remind you today that the gospel, the gospel is only good news. It's only good news if it gets there on time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The question is, do you care? Do you even care? Or are you too preoccupied with your own little life? Beloved, do not let the affairs of the world and the snares of the devil render you useless and ineffective. If the gospel has been entrusted to you, if you believe the gospel to be true, it is absolutely your responsibility to proclaim the gospel faithfully and urgently and diligently. Don't tell God that you're too busy right now. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Let me close this sermon with how it began. When a person truly encounters the risen Christ, their lives will never be the same. Do you see it now? The disciples, their lives were never the same again. If you have truly encountered the living God, your life will be radically transformed. From fear to joy, from despair to purpose, from self-reliance to spirit empowerment, from gospel ignorance to gospel proclamation. David Brainerd, a missionary to the Native Americans in the 18th century, he wrote this amazing prayer in his private diary entry. And beloved church, let us make this prayer our prayer. Here am I. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage lost of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. Let us pray in this way. Would you join me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing gospel. Lord, we have encountered and embraced the risen Christ. We are Christians. We believe. We have faith that Christ you died for our sins, and you rose again victorious. If we believe that, help us to live a life that reflects that we actually do believe this. Our lives can never be the same. Lord, you have commissioned us to go, to go and make disciples of all nations. Let us never become complacent if we have today is a day of repentance. We ask for your forgiveness. 
We ask that your spirit would convict us, empower us, embolden us to take this gospel to the darkest corners of our city and to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to be obedient for your cause, for your kingdom, for your glory. We thank you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.